really nice town. It's a typical leafy suburb in Massachusetts. And there is an eclectic mix of homes along this rather busy road. Got a little uh, gambrel roof looking house right here. There's a couple of capes. Oh wow, there it is. In 1908, something happened that changed the way we build some of our homes. And it was kind of amazing. You could buy a house from a catalog. The entire thing. Four walls, roof, stairs, even the chimney. All of it. And these kit homes came in 12,000 pieces with 75 pages of instructions and a promise that a man of average abilities could have it together in 90 days. I mean, that's pretty bold. Everything you needed to build your own home. And it arrived in a railroad boxcar. Talk about rugged individualists. We break out in a sweat when we have to build an IKEA TV stand. You had 48 hours to get those 12,000 pieces of house out of that boxcar and to your lot. For a first-time home buyer, this was a huge deal. Kit homes. They changed housing and home ownership for tens of thousands of people. So what is a kit home, and who built them? And if they're so incredible, why aren't we all living in one today? From this old house, this is Clear Story. Your home in a new light. I'm Kevin O'Connor. There's a Sears kit home in Sydney, Illinois, not too far from where I live in the St. Louis area. And that house was built by the family's great-great-grandfather and grandmother. And that house still remains in the family. Rosemary Thornton is the author of a lot of books about kit homes, including The Houses That Sears Built. And she joined us from her front porch in Illinois. The men and women building these houses were not flipping them in our modern vernacular. They were building a home for their wife, for their children, for their children's children, for generations. The kit home, it was also known as a pre-cut house, meaning the pieces were cut in a lumber mill or factory and sent by boxcar to a railroad station closest to the homeowner's land. Between 1908 and 1940, Sears Roebuck & Company sold between 75 and 100,000 of these homes. And they weren't the only ones. Companies like Montgomery Ward and Aladdin were also in the business. But the Sears homes have the most lasting legacy. They were really, really superior quality homes. And while we tend to romanticize the houses of the past, the fact is those houses often were slapped together. They were McMansions of the 19 aughts. The Sears kit homes had a standard of excellence that was not matched in the field of stick-built homes. One, because of the precision with which with these materials were sawn in a factory. And two, again, somebody paying attention as it's being built. The arrival on the housing market sort of happened by accident. In 1906, a guy named Frank Cushel was given the difficult job of boosting sales in Sears' floundering buildings material department. So he came up with an ingenious plan. Sears would offer all of the materials necessary to build a home in a package, essentially one-stop shopping. And in 1908, Sears issued the Book of Modern Homes and Building Plans, the first specialty catalog for houses. 
It showcased 22 home styles that you could purchase from $650 up to $2,500. And that was just the beginning. The Sears Magnolia is the grandest, the creme de la creme of Sears kit homes. It's basically an American foursquare with delusions of grandeur. The Magnolia was 2,940 square feet and it sold for $5,900. It has two-story Corinthian columns on the front and what some people call Romeo and Juliet porch on the front. It had multiple fireplaces, two and a half bathrooms, had servants' quarters inside the house. It had a, a bedroom and a bath for the, uh, the help. <laughs> so that was quite a house. Now, pattern homes had been around for a while. They were essentially just a blueprint and a shopping list of materials. But what was so revolutionary about what Sears and its competitors did was they sold you everything. The floorboards, the windows, the staircase, even the nails and paint. There were a few recent developments in home building that made all of this possible. Individual roof shingles were introduced. These small squares could be stacked and shipped. No more big rolls of felt that had to be covered with tar and asphalt. And there was balloon framing where pre-cut lumber could be framed up with a hammer and nails. And since Sears also sold home furnishings, you could outfit the whole interior of your home from the pages of their catalog. So Sears knew that once somebody became a homeowner, they were going to start buying stuff. And if you look at the catalog images that show the floor plan for like the Sears Avalon, it has little dotted lines in the living room and it says, Placement for piano, placement for couch, placement for chair, placement for end table, placement for graphophone. So yeah, they were <laughs> they were pitching it hard. Sears catalog at its peak was 1,400 pages and offered 100,000 items. Sears bragged that the amount of paper that ran through his printing presses was enough to go around the equator of the Earth 10 times, 250,000 miles. So Sears was marketing genius. In the early 1900s, the idea of buying your own home was pretty ambitious because back then, many homes were multi-generational. When you got married, you'd often move in with mom and dad and live there until you saved enough of a down payment. And mom and dad might have grandma living in the back bedroom because grandma didn't have any place to go. Or it might be grandma's house that you're living in. Housing was tight, but people did have land. Mom and dad would offer them a half acre on the farm to build their house. In fact, we think we have a housing shortage now. It was actually more severe after the Great War, when the war ended in 1918. It was estimated that one to two million housing units were needed immediately. And here Sears offered these houses. They also offered detailed blueprints. And the framing members of a Sears house had a letter and a three-digit number. And that letter and the three-digit number then corresponded with the blueprints and the manual for building the house. So it really was, you know, find B786, and it goes next to C761. It really was a, a brilliant way to build a house, and it worked. Sears had perfected the kid home. They offered the green view for $725. It was a three-bedroom, one-bath house with a parlor and advertised roomy closets. Or, for just over $2,000, you could buy the Hamilton, a four-bedroom, one-bath house with a sweeping front porch. The company called it one of their most economical homes to be built because it was nearly a complete square. Every inch was utilized. 
1918, Standard Oil Company purchased nearly 200 Sears kit homes to house mine workers in Illinois. And a few years later, Sears introduced two new catalogs, modern farm buildings and barns. By 1926, they were selling more than 300 homes a month, 10 homes every day. These were modern houses with options for indoor plumbing, electricity, and heat. There was another key factor that initially made the Sears homes so successful, financing. In the early 1900s, banks were notorious for refusing to lend money to immigrants, women, or people of color. Sears did not do that. Uh, The mortgage application had two questions. What is your vocation? And do you own the lot? You know, if you had a vocation and you owned your lot, you got a mortgage. And this golden opportunity extending this financing to everybody is what enabled lots and lots of these immigrants and women and men and women of color to get into a home in a way that no other venue was offered. There was no other avenue to get into a house. That was transformational. A young couple looking to buy their first home didn't have to pay for everything up front. A little Sears Crafton that was about 700 square feet, what we might call a bungalow today or a cottage, that still represented a significant amount of money. It might take somebody years to save up enough money to buy a Crafton. But if they were financing it, all they had to do was have a lot. And they could move right in, start building, and start the payments on it. You know, the movie It's a Wonderful Life has always been one of my very favorite movies. And people have a lot of takeaways from that movie. My favorite story is Ernie the cab driver. So George Bailey gets into the car with Ernie the cab driver and asks about his wife and kids. And Ernie turns around and says, what do you know about the wife and kids? The wife ran off three years ago and took the kids with her. And the message is when you're a renter, your life just doesn't have the stability that it does as a homeowner. So the real takeaway message I get from that movie is homeownership creates more stability, more financial stability, security, And, you know, according to George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life, even marital stability, uh, companionship stability. Studies show that homeownership comes with a lot of benefits, including housing security, predictable monthly expenses, and access to credit. Children's physical and mental health improve, and they stay in school longer. In the end, owning your own home typically allows a family to boost their economic status and to build wealth. By 1930, Sears proclaimed to be the world's largest home builder, with sales of $12 million, and nearly half of that value was in financing. The company's mortgages were typically 5 to 15 years with a down payment of 25%, but they also offered no money down lending. And that, Rosemary says, was also part of its downfall. I mean, imagine putting your life savings in a little brown envelope that says Sears Roebuck, Chicago, Illinois, and sending it off. And then you spend months building your house from these 12,000 pieces of of building materials. And then comes the day that you lose your job and you can't make the payments, and then Sears has to foreclose. It was a perfect storm. Following the stock market crash, consumer spending plummeted, and massive unemployment followed. And Sears was left holding $11 million in mortgage financing that homeowners couldn't pay. Actually, a man came into one of my talks, and he said two, three generations later, his family still refused to patronize Sears because Sears had swooped in and taken the house through foreclosure that his great-grandfather had painstakingly built from this kit. 
So to imagine the hard feelings this left when it happened. And it wasn't just the Great Depression and the mortgage fiasco. Rosemary says there were a lot of factors at play. As the years went by, the Sears kid homes got bigger and bigger and bigger, which meant it was more and more complicated. Electrical was no longer a braided wire hanging from the ceiling in the kitchen or three outlets in the entire house and 30-amp service. Instead of one bath or an outhouse, Sears did sell a fine-looking outhouse. Suddenly, people wanted two bathrooms. The other thing is uniform statewide building codes became far more exacting. Another element is unions made it pretty darn rough for people to build their own homes. A lot has changed. Sears folded its modern home catalog in 1940. But the ideal of homeownership, well, that hasn't changed. We were settled by, you know, the the people who were tired of Ireland and tired of England. And they came over here and got their 40 acres and a mule. And I mean, the idea of spreading out and having your own patch of land is very American. So what else do we learn from Kid Homes? And what's in the future? That's next, after the break. They were the one that, in my opinion, laid the foundation to the statement, why to rent if you can own? So this was really a a breakthrough. Avi Friedman is an architecture professor at McGill University, where he directs the Affordable Housing Program. And he's the author of Prefab Living. Avi credits Sears with honing in on what the homebuyer wanted and for nurturing the belief that everyone should aspire to homeownership. Basically, the idea of getting a loan and buying your own home has become a feature of of the American psychic and culture. You need to own your home. Sears, at the time, through their very, very wise marketing schemes, it was very sophisticated for the time, gave the opening for this to occur. Avi says the person actually building the home depended on which model it was. I believe that there were self-helper who built the homes for themselves using their own friends, much like barn raising, where the community got together. So you probably invited a bunch of friends and gave them a few beers and you turn it into a nice party, and you build the things together. But the more complicated homes probably called for a skilled carpenter. And regardless who was actually swinging the hammer, kit homes had a big advantage. Time. For a traditionally built home, a bunch of materials were delivered to a plot of land. Two-by-fours, flooring, and nails. And then the builder started from scratch. But Sears pre-cut all the lumber. And more. In the 19... 20, in the early part of the century, there were no power tools. If you were to notch a piece of wood, you needed to do it with hand tools, which have taken a long time. And the advantage of Sears Home is that it was done for you. You even have a places where they drill holes for you to pass the wires, the electric wires and so on. So it was an amazing time saver at the time. How much of a time saver do you think that prefabrication saved the homeowner? The Sears home took 300 
1,052 carpenter labor hours, and the conventional home took 583 and a half. That's a savings of 235 labor hours. And in the Sears ads, they showed it. They built two of their simplex cottages. One was constructed from kit parts. The other built the conventional way. They demonstrated that when the work started at 7.45 a.m., by about 11, the home was finished. And just to be clear, the notching of the two-by-fours done 100 times over, the drilling of holes in the studs done 100 times over, that was done by Sears, and that was done by power tools. That was mechanized, industrialized? That's right. If you can imagine a huge fabrication plan similar to what one may see today in automated car manufacturer company. There were lines. Henry Ford's famous $5 a day to work in his factory, um, I believe that happens around 1905 or thereabouts. You're telling me that Sears gets going with the prefabricated home 1908. Coincidence? Does Sears look towards car manufacturing? Does Sears look towards Ford manufacturing as inspiration for their model? There is no doubt they did understand that efficiency of production is a key to their success. You know, if you were to visit a construction site today, you often see a huge container to which waste is being thrown out. The sales production was extremely efficient. There was no waste. In this sense, they were highly sustainable. So if some of them were built by professionals, there were still some that were built by homeowners themselves. That, to me, seems miraculous, that a family orders up a two-story, three-bedroom home with a central chimney, stairs, a roof, and a 70-some-odd page manual, and that they would successfully be able to build a home. We're talking about windows and doors and floors and walls. How is that even possible? You know, you open the door here, Kevin, to an amazing question. I believe that what we saw at the time can be summed up by one word. Ingenuity. Innovation. That later became the hallmark of what America is all about. A very innovative nation. Avi says this ingenuity paid off. Sears did exactly what it hoped it would. It boosted sales for its home materials department and more. Surprisingly, the people who bought the house later bought a garage. Farmers bought a barn. But what I was amazed about, those self-helpers or builders who build them, build beautiful homes. When you drive in America's old neighborhood, you will not be able to tell Sears home for the one next door. Is it an American phenomenon? I mean, you talk about this ingenuity and something that is now the culture of this country. Could it have only have happened here, the Sears way? Or is it more universal than that? Many of the great things that in the 20th, 19th or 20th century changed the world, were born in America. From the car, 
to the airplane, and I believe that the spirit of a new nation who came up and needed to build home, there was a huge housing crisis and responded with innovation to a need, made it a success. But that home innovation sort of dried up. And in the 40s and 50s, Avi says kit homes or prefab homes got a bad reputation. And where the U.S. left off, other countries have pushed forward. In Japan, prefabricated homes are also considered superior. You pay way more. In Scandinavia, 80% of all homes are prefabricated. Avi thinks the same may have been true here in the United States if Sears hadn't closed their doors in 1940. The end of the Second World War created enormous housing crisis in the United States. And it was parallel with generous lending processes that the government provided to veterans. If they would have lasted another five years, they could have completely changed the way we build houses today. But Avi says there hasn't been much innovation since the 1950s. What I mean by that is that we have amazing tools. We know the science of building amazingly well, but we still send a bunch of two-by-sixes to a muddy construction site to be put into a wall and trashes to be assembled to become a roof. We did not change much, not fundamentally. Why? Why can't we figure this out? In my opinion, it boils down to a very simple answer. The home building industry is waiting for Stephen Jobs of housing. We are waiting for Elon Musk of space travel. What Stephen Jobs did to the telephone convinces that this is the way of the future and know how to package it in a way that we will line up at 4 a.m. in the morning in front of uh, Apple Store to be the first to buy. Building our own homes? Is that even realistic? That's after the break. There's a Sears house in a suburb of Boston, and my curiosity got the best of me. So, of course, I had to go see it. Everything's very well maintained, great landscaping, and our kid home is coming up next on the right. Oh, yeah. No, I'd have no idea that that was a kid home. That thing fits in with this neighborhood. It looks as nice, if not nicer, than just about every other house in this neighborhood. It's a stucco house, two stories. It's got an attic, a couple dormers up in the uh, roof as well. It's got a two-story porch, so there's an upper balcony with a balustrade. Posts, steps coming down, front yard looks awesome. I've got the listing here as well because it changed hands a few years back. Four bedrooms, three and a half baths. Holy mackerel. It sold three years ago for $1.75 million. 
Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. It's not like what I thought a kid home would be. Not at all. I am dying to talk to the people who own that house. I wonder if they have any idea that that's a Sears kid home. The homeowner is Brian, and he graciously opened the door and invited me inside. When did you guys move in? About three years ago. Did you know it was a kid home when you bought it? We did. The previous owner was very excited about that fact, and she gave us all the history, told us um, you know, what she knew about it. It's a 1912, I think 1930, the Ivanhoe Sears home. So when you walk through the house, it has a great classic kind of you know old home feel to it that's right. been updated. But you can look down, you can see the floorboards. These are original to the house. The eaves that are on the outside are the original cypress wood. I oh, believe. cool! Um, yeah, you know, so they, they kept as much as they could of the original, you know, character of the home. And so, in the front foyer next to the front staircase, there's a framed picture on the wall. Um, tell me what I'm looking at here. Yeah, so this is from I believe the 1912 or 1913 uh, Sears catalog for the <laughs> mail order homes. Um, my mother-in-law uh, purchased this for us. She was probably the most excited in the family <laughs> to learn that we live in a Sears catalog home. They call it the Ivanhoe, and it's got a price on it as well. Uh, a, a whopping $1,663. Although I believe if you read the fine print, it, it, it's about $3,000 if you want to have it completely built and finished for you. Brian showed me everything. The dining room and the original built-ins. The fireplace and diamond pattern windows, the original staircase. And I'm not going to lie, it was beautiful. No question about it. I would definitely have bought that house and happily lived in it today. And I have to admit, this whole story of the Sears kit homes, well, it got to me. The image of a boxcar arriving with all of the materials you need to put a roof over your head, and the husband and wife and some friends building the home themselves, I mean, that's romantic, right? But how realistic is it? today. Well, I had to run the idea by Richard Chithui, our expert plumber on this old house. It's almost unfathomable that it, it all went together and they got built and they're still standing, many of them they're standing beautifully. I mean, how likely do you think it is that a farmer and his kids or his neighbors could pull it together and let's just go through the list, you know, do you think it's conceivable that they built a one-story house? One story, maybe. What about two stories? <laughs> took a little longer, and there was always extra parts at the end. <laughs> so in terms of complexity, building this house with, say, one bathroom? Pretty straightforward. At the time they were building them, they didn't have the modern plumbing codes that we have nowadays. You know, nowadays people want four different bathrooms in different corners of the building, and uh, it's a lot more complex. So fast forward to today, 2021, could you find enough friends to unload two boxcars with 40,000 pieces? I tried to have a dumpster party when I was renovating my house. I couldn't find anybody who even come to help. No. That was before you knew me. <laughs> okay. Jokes aside, I wanted another take. So I asked Tommy Silva. One-story house, one or two outlets per room, and a couple of, you know, light bulbs overhead. Doable or not doable? It's absolutely doable. A ranch house is, is pretty basic, pretty simple, but it's time-consuming. When you get into the finishes and stuff like that, it's a long process. Two stories, a couple bathrooms, a staircase, mm -hmm. a front porch with a second story, 
pillars holding up the uh, second story of the front porch. How complicated is that? <laughs> this is something really silly, but a lot of people are just afraid of heights. You know, you're not going to get people up on a ladder, hanging a window, or, or putting siding on and stuff like that. And they're not going to put a roof on. It's a lot of work. The complication or the figuring of the staircase, for example, you know, everything is pre-cut, so you've got it made, but you have to make sure you have the right studs in the right locations. If anything's off, then now you're into problem solving. I can't believe I'm going to ask this because I know the answer. <laughs> Do you think that I and my son Luke could build a kid house. Well, I can't believe I'm gonna give this answer, but yes, I do. You could. Uh, you, you cut out for a second. What was that? I, you couldn't. <laughs> At its core, the Sears Kid Home was an idealized version of home building. I mean, who else is gonna build a home with more care and attention than the folks who are gonna live there? And as Rosemary Thornton and Avi Freeman both mentioned, kit homes made homeownership possible for tens of thousands of people. It gave them housing security and the means to improve their economic status. And as we face yet another housing shortage, who knows, maybe a modern kit home could be a solution. But it did get me thinking, have we moved too far away from the construction of our own homes? I mean, sure, lots of us roll up our sleeves for the odd home fix-it job, but building our own deck or our own kitchen? Wouldn't we be more content with what we have if we actually helped to build it? I'm also curious to see what the next big innovation in home building will be. Until then, I think maybe my son Luke and I will tackle a project on our own. Maybe a two-story addition with Corinthian columns and a fireplace? What, too ambitious? Drop us an email at clearstoryatthisoldhouse.com to let us know what you think of this episode and if there's anything else you want us to explore. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Clear Story and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Clear Story was produced for This Old House by Catherine Fenelosa at Rococo Punch. Production support from James Trout, Andrea Suahe, Chris Ermides, and Sarah Chase. And special thanks to our guests, Rosemary Thornton, Avi Friedman, our Sears homeowner, Brian, Richard Chathui, and Tommy Silva. I'm Kevin O'Connor. Thanks for listening to this season of Clear Story. Check out the latest This Old House episodes on your local PBS station and on the Roku channel. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for more from our home improvement experts. Sign up for our email newsletter at thisoldhouse.com.